here. Uh, we hope that you're able to participate in the community in this home. Uh, a couple of items that are left off the uh, notice list, Bob. We, d- we did mention a pray for the World Day of Prayer service on the Friday, the 5th of uh, March. There is a practice uh, for those who want to be involved in the actual service. They're having a meeting and a practice at the St. Mary's Anglican Church in Atherton on the 24th of February, which is, which day, Chris? Wednesday at 9am. If you want to be involved in the World Day of Prayer service uh, at the Anglican Church, then um, come and see me. I've got the information there. And also we have the brochures for the Keswick Convention at Easter with the uh, times of the sessions and also some um, bios of the, of the speakers on, at the um, convention. So please take them. They're at the, on the table at the entry there at the time of the service. We are continuing our journey through Ephesians, as uh, Jeff reminded us this morning by taking us through those readings. And today, I trust that you will have heard this message out of Ephesians probably twice, if not three times altogether. Both through the songs we've sung, the scriptures that have been read, and now the scriptures that we are going to read. And I want us to think about how sweet it is being truly alive in Christ. And for those that are joining us for the first time today, visitors and new folks to the table in, we are discovering what it's like to be alive in Christ as we work through Ephesians, which is the, the letter that Paul has written. And so I trust that you're reading through Ephesians, uh, you know, daily or at least a chapter a week over the coming weeks, because God will speak to you right where you are out of his word. And I'm praying that that's what will happen today as well. So please join me. Let's read out aloud together as we read through those same verses that Jeff read to us this morning. So this is the se- second time through it. And the third time through it will be as I break it apart in the message today. Let's read together. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, We were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I wonder if we can grasp all that passage in one session. So, my hope this morning is that you might get a taste of what's in this scripture, that you'll go home and you'll ask God to show you even more as we sit here. Some of us have been through some sad times in our lives with uh, family members dying, passing away. And as a pastor, and I don't know if Jeff's had this privilege yet of sitting with a family when, a, when someone is dying. Have you uh, been there, Jeff, with someone? Yeah, you really have? Okay, it's a sad time. And it's especially difficult if you've been in a, in a hospital room where uh, 
the doctor comes up to a family, and it could be a, a, a woman or a mother or a, or a wife that's, that's in the hospital bed, and they say to the family, you know, the only thing that's keeping her alive are the machines. In reality, her brain has already died. And the hardest thing I find is that helping the family to work through switching their machines on. It was so sad, and I hope that doesn't bring too many uh, gut-wrenching memories back to you today, but, but the sadness is that what's really keeping that person alive is just the machine. And I think when we look at our faith, our, our relationship, our philosophical outlook on life, uh, we should ask the deeper question, what's keeping us alive as followers of Jesus? Is it all the external stuff? Is it all the going to church on Sundays and all that sort of stuff? Or is it that deeper personal interaction with being alive in Christ and being in Christ? So once again, I ask you to put your thinking caps on today or if you need to, your motorcycle helmets from last week because, again, some of this stuff is is really meaty stuff and it's amazing. And uh, if you ponder on it, God will give you some incredible insight into his word. So we're going to skim through these verses today just so that we can... Actually, how long do they need in Sunday school, in, in children's church? We can make the sermon a bit longer if they need a bit longer. Yeah, we go. So these particular verses, verses 1 to 10, of this, these first three chapters that we have of Paul's letter are the, are the meat, the theology of our relationship with God. The next few chapters are how we live that out. So just remember, this is Paul trying to write a letter to the the Christians, the believers, saying this is what is really true and this is what you can bank your life on today, this is what you can bank eternity on, grasp it, grab hold of it. And as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, that first sentence of his letter was, how many, 202 words long and, and uh, thankfully he was writing it, reading it out. I can imagine somebody reading the letter in a church like we did, you'd have to take a breath along the way every now and then. And so too in this passage as well, as this part of the letter, he has so much to say that he can hardly contain himself. I think you'll see it as we go along. So first of all, he, as Jeff mentioned earlier, he, he contrasts things in this part of the letter, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. He contrasts being truly alive. And the thing that he contrasts is what life was like before we believed or before we let Christ have control of our life and what life is like in Christ when we have surrendered our lives to Jesus. Just look at some of those things that he says there. Living in transgressions and sins, living in disobedience, compared to living in good works, prepared by God. Living in this world, and what do we know about this world? It's not just the physical earth that we live on. Paul is talking about this world system, the thing that motivates us and and drives us in our culture or in our lifestyle. That's what the world that we've been talking about there, compared to that enmeshing, as I've mentioned in past weeks, that spiritual and the material coming together in Christ. Death versus life. And remember, Paul's talking about spiritual death. He's talking about what it means to be spiritually dead. So it's that spiritual death compared to spiritual life. Living under the rule of the air versus being seated with Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but the more I read uh, Ephesians, I'm still getting my head around what this means to be seated in the heavenlies with Christ and I'm sure we'll get there by the end of the end of chapter 6. Being involved in nature, our, our human nature versus being under the grace of God. 
a life of worship rather than a life of truth. That's a, that's a pretty amazing comparison, isn't it? And yet when we look at this side, oops, sorry, compared. When we look at this side of the column, that's the people around about us. Do you know people who live that way? I do. You know, they, they, they live sadly based in this world system and, and, um, and controlled by this world system rather than the freedom of living with Christ. Paul wants to make sure that the Ephesians and whoever else read that letter, which includes us today, has this uh, salvation that has a radical difference in their life. In, in the areas of their past, knowing what our past was like when we weren't surrendered to Jesus. And, and, and uh, I've heard some people say when we didn't believe in Jesus. But, you know, a lot of uh, our children grow up in Christian homes where they hear about Jesus and hopefully believe in Jesus, but haven't yet surrendered their lives to Jesus. Haven't made Jesus Lord of their life yet. And so I think there is a big flaw being in Christ. Not that we aren't saved, but we aren't surrendered. Uh, and the present and the future. So Paul's trying to get people to think about past, before Christ, or not letting Jesus be Lord of their lives, the present, what life's now, what the truth is, and how that will affect our future. So Paul reminds us how bad it was before we invited Christ to be our Lord and Saviour. Verses 1 to 3, we read them, we'll skip over them again. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. That's pretty bad, isn't it? When you, when you hear the word dead, it sort of tends to bring all those bad ideas to your mind. In which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And what I say, most people don't know that that's what they're doing. They're certainly following the ways of this world, but they don't realise that the ruler of the kingdom of the air, and I'll explain that in a moment, who's controlling the, the ways of the world. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, Paul writes, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, God's wrath. So before we accepted Christ, we were spiritually dead. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions. Notice, notice what Paul's saying here. He chooses to use the word were. You were dead. Because he knows for those that are reading this letter and for those who have accepted Christ, that's not true anymore. But he's saying you were dead. What about you and I? Do you remember life before you came to faith in Jesus? Do you remember life before you said, Lord, I surrender all to you? Like, it could have been good. You could have grown up in a very loving environment, in a very uh, supportive environment, a godly environment, but there's still a time when you said, this is what I want for me. This is what I want to do. I want to follow Jesus. For some of us, might, our backgrounds, our past might be very different. It might be times we were out and out against anything Christian, against anything religious, against anything godly. Were you like that? I wonder if it was anything like your life today. My hope is that your life today is very different to what it was when you didn't know Christ. Paul believed that life before Christ was spiritually dead. This is very interesting for Paul to say this. It was to be spiritually dead. That means that it didn't mean that you didn't know much about the Bible or religion. It meant that you didn't know Jesus. You didn't know the true living God. Now, 
Now, Paul could speak from experience here. If you read Philippians chapter 3, I think it is, Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 to 6, Paul gives you a spiritual resume, if you like, or a, or a, um, a resume of his, his religious history. And he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a, a Jewish scholar. He kept the law zealously. He defended what he thought was the faith. But in his eyes, he was spiritually dead. As he looks back on that time, he was spiritually dead. You and I may have grown up in that background. We may have come from a very religious family where, where rules, laws and facts were all taught, if not pounded into us. No matter how good you might have lived in those days, no matter how much you understood, Paul says that the perspective he has from his new life in Christ showed him that before no spiritual life. We might, we might say that some people are spirit, searching spiritually, but I think a lot of them are searching in their own hearts. Paul goes on to say the spiritual death is caused by our transgressions and sins in verses 1 and 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You followed the ways of the world, controlled by the ruler of the, of the kingdom of the air, the spirit at work in this world. Paul knows, as he wrote in other passages in, in um, Romans that the wages of sin is death. So that unless you have faith in the living God, unless you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no gift of eternal life. Paul knew that and wrote about that. Adam and Eve knew what it was like to die spiritually. At one time, at the beginning of the world, when God created the world, they fellowshiped with God, walked with Him, spoke with Him, listened to Him. But then they disobeyed God. They weren't poisoned by the fruit, were they? They didn't die physically, but they did die spiritually. They didn't have that intimate relationship and fellowship with God. It was broken. So spiritual death means to be out of that fellowship with God. No way of winning it back. You and I by ourselves can't fix that. The world by themselves can't fix that spiritual death. It is dead. Only God can breathe new life into a dead relationship. We are born spiritually separated from God without a Savior. We are born spiritually dead. It isn't until we accept the work of Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross on our behalf, that we suddenly, immediately have spiritual death. You ever seen one of those old movies where a uh, father's really unhappy about his child's decisions uh, in life and so the father disowns his child? The child is, child is treated as if he's literally dead. Well, that's our spiritual condition before God until we accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Like I said before, I've got lots of friends who would call themselves spiritual people. Now, they're always hungering for spirituality, looking for spiritual life in all sorts of places. They have a, uh, an eclectic approach. They, they listen to this. They grab this information from there. They might, might be watching the latest Hollywood movie or, or the latest uh, blog on, on the internet or reading the latest book to try and gain their understanding of spiritual guidance. But after all those pursuits, unless 
that they can take the risk that they could get injured. They might be knowledgeable, but they could get injured. Paul says it this way. He says that we are follow- people are following the ways of the world. And isn't that true? We're looking to Mother Nature or Mother Earth or crystals or, or Hinduism or seeking Allah or even living by the course to riches and power. As if that's going to help when they don't recognise the one true God. And I think, I don't know about you, but in, in the circles I walk in, there are people hungering for spiritual life. They're hungering for a sense of reality and truth and understanding and hope and purpose and all those things. It can't be found in religion. And so when somebody asks me, what religion are you? I say, none. They have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That makes a difference. Paul says that the evil one is a tremendous influence of this world, on this world. And in fact, others write about it too. John in his letter says, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So it shouldn't, be, shouldn't surprise us that so, so many awful things are happening in our world. People of the world don't understand it, but we should because we know that the world is under the rule of the spirit of the air. There are other passages as well that remind us of that. Paul says that the walking dead are easily recognised because they are driven by their gratifying nature or their cravings. Ephesians 2, 3, he said this, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. If that's your story, you and I were worldly. We were driven by the desires of this world. And it's it's a really hard thing when people come to faith in Christ to still not be driven by the desires of this world. Someone um, said to me recently in a statement, that some of those things that are are the desires of this world are their passion, but their priority is following Jesus. Even though they might be interested in things of this world that are attractive, their priority is following Jesus. That makes those passions less a priority. We used to live in the ways of the world. That mentality that says everything to me, me first, that selfish mentality. Trying to gratify gratify our desires rather than knowing what God wants. Our society in Australia is built on that, isn't it? Murder, teenage pregnancy, drugs, sex, chasing pleasures at any cost. We hear about that nearly every night of the news. And sadly, that's the way of the world. It's not new, by the way. It's not a new thing for our modern age. It happened in the Old Testament too. Even the Israelites were challenged. In Judges 21 verse 5, it says, in those days, Israel had no king. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes, or everything, everyone did as he or she. They didn't want to do what God wanted them to do. They did their own thing. Paul says it again in Romans 1.18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. People don't want to know the truth. They say they do, but when they're presented with the truth, they say, oh, no, no. The Bible tells us it's God's wrath, God's anger, if you like, if you like, his his violent passion against the evil will be poured out on those people who don't believe in him. 
in accordance with what God has done. And because of our sin and our transgression, our disobedience, we were enemies of God. No hope of relationship. Can I tell you, without a doubt, that was the way we were. That was the way we were. And I want to say today that Paul reminds us of how sweet it is to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Remember right at the beginning of this series, I said, it's all about, he was trying to share the blessings of being in Christ, the excitement of being in Christ. And he picks up on that theme again in his next few verses. Let me read them again. It says, but because of this, his great love for us, in fact, the most important word in this verse, first one, but. The first three verses, that's what we were like. But. And this is where he can hardly contain himself. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Does that thrill you? Does that make you happy? That even though we were like that, God has shown love to us. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. What can we be happy about today? What can we be excited about today? Is We have spiritual life because of God's great love toward us. God's great love for us. Paul points to his heart for one reason. To emphasize how good it is to know. And I don't know if we're true to ourselves, we can look back in times in the past when uh, we've done things or said things or been involved in things that we weren't real proud of and uh, weren't real um, excited about because of the influence on others. But God has done something amazing in our lives. So we should be thrilled, we should be excited because of his great love for us. Paul can hardly contain you ever had one of those moments where, where a child is so excited to show mummy or daddy or something and they sort of burst into the middle of an adult conversation uh, to show dad this dirty old stick that they pulled up, picked up out of the gutter and say, oh, that's wonderful. That's what it's like. Paul's saying, this is what it's like. God has shown his grace and his mercy and his love. How good is it now? Even when we were walking dead spiritually, God made us alive. That's God's grace, isn't it? So the good news is this. The spiritually dead can live again. So you might be involved in people that uh, you might think they have no spiritual connection at all. They are spiritually dead in God's eyes. But they can be alive again, the Bible tells us. Everywhere, everywhere, people in their spiritual existence can be brought back. Our eyes can be opened. Why? Because God's love for us is great. Ephesians 2 verse 5 says, but God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. What's the acronym acronym for grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Christ went to the cross for us because God loved his creation. Christ went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and our disobedience so we could be saved. Just 
Here's another aspect of what happens to us when we accept the grace of God. Verse 57 says that we have this heavenly representation today and life for eternity. This heavenly representation today and life for eternity. And starting to get my head around this seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Christ is there on our behalf. He's there, as uh, John, uh, John's letter say, preparing a house for us in heaven, preparing a, a place for us in heaven. Amen? We are raised up in death. We are seated with Christ for eternity. What an incredible prospect. There's only one person that can fulfill that role, and that's Jesus. That's Jesus. And in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Only one person can fill this role. Paul says this elsewhere in Timothy, the letter to Timothy, he says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. He's there on our behalf. He's brought us up. And John refers to that in his letter as well. He says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous. In essence, we're seated with Jesus. We have God's attention. We have his ear because of our association with him. And when we've chosen to trust him, we can rest in God's presence. Verse 7 goes on to say that all of this intimacy we enjoy with God because in Christ we have a purpose in Him being in heaven as well. And that purpose is so that others can come to Him too. That purpose is so that this grace that God gives can be available to other people as we share the good news with, with them. Further on in the letter, and we'll come to this a little bit later in a few weeks' time, in Ephesians 3.10, Paul writes this. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So God's got a plan for us, the church, to reveal God to the world. See, that sounds familiar. Don't we have a theme that says impacting the world as a part of our church? So we're on track. If we're doing that, we're doing what God's plan for the world. The sad part of this passage is Paul needs to remind people again and again that it's God doing this, none of ourselves. In verses 8 through to 8 and 9 in particular, he says, we must never confuse ourselves with God. We must never say we can do what only God can do. Verse 8 and 9 says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. And there are people in our world they think by being religious, they think by knowing everything there is to know about Christianity, that they're earning their way to heaven. There's nothing wrong with knowledge. But if it's knowledge without a relationship with the living God, it's just knowledge. Verse 9 says, not by works so that no one can boast. Verse 10, oops, sorry, verse 10 says, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's so easy. People, people want to be a part of their own salvation. They want to 
climb the highest mountain, pluck the eagle's feather, put it in their cap and come down and say, how great am I? Some Christians want to do that still. I know that there, there are some people who are Bible college addicts. They'll do one degree and another degree and another degree and all very well, all very informative and educational, but they're not living out their faith. You and I have the, have the problem. If, if we say, if I go to church on Sunday, I'm good with God for the rest of the week. That's not the case. It's a day-by-day walk with Jesus. We must never confuse our faith. One of the things I discovered this week in preparation was there was a saying that was put up uh, uh, on the wall of, of the concentration camps, which is Nazis have no Jesus in their recruit. It looks like something like, huh? Did you get this? It looks like something like this. Anyhow, this one. I said them in the wrong order. And one of the problems is that it said something like this. Work makes perfect. But it didn't. Jesus makes perfect. It was an ideal that was never lived out. I've got the pay, haven't I? Bibles, a previous pastor of one of the big churches in the estate made this comment. He said, most religions of the world spell religion as just two letters. What you do gets you in the graces of the gods. What can you do to earn heaven? These religions always have a long list of things people must do to become saved. Knocking on doors, keeping the five pillars of Islam, or for some just being somehow good enough that we can earn access to heaven. Andy Stanley, one of the pastors from the States, wrote, wrote this book. How good is good? How good is good enough? If good people get to heaven, how good is good enough? Where's the pass mark? The reality is, no one is good enough except Jesus. Great little read if you want to borrow it. It's good. I've passed it on to a few people who think they're good enough to get into heaven. But Heibels goes on to say, he says, that Christians spell religion dull. Not what we do, but as that earlier song says, what it does. What it does for us. We're not saved by works, but we certainly are saved through Jesus as Paul explains. It's not what we've done, it's what God has done for us and in us around us to serve him. I wonder, us, we are not saved by works, but we are certainly saved for good works. I wonder if that's your attitude today. How sweet is your life in Christ today? I wonder, have you forgotten how bad it was so that you're no longer thankful for who you are today in Christ? Sometimes it's good to think that. Say, God has saved me from my sins. But it's not just for now, it's for the years ahead. It's saved for service. I wonder if there's evidence of obedience and good works in your life because you're a follower of Jesus. This is a good place to plug the ministry invitation forms that were handed out this morning. There's opportunity to serve God both in the church and in the community through Harper's Church. We're not serving to earn 
credit points or merit requests in serving before God's great mercy. Serve him. A, uh, one of the TV preachers from the States made a comment. Before you can get a person saved, you've got to get him loved. And I think part of our role in our community is to help un- people understand they're lost. They might be searching for things spiritually, but, but they're actually lost until they know Jesus. So our role is to point people to Jesus. Our role is to say we are willing to serve because God's got great maybe some folks here today that aren't sure about the fact that they are followers of Jesus then I would love to chat with you after the service to encourage you what it means to be a follower of Jesus rather than just being a Christian Paul wants us to be excited that we're alive in Christ because there's so many hopes I hope that as we go through this uh, scripture together in Ephesians that we'll discover things that we can be excited about because of what Jesus has done how we can be alive in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we have been saved for those good things that you've planned ahead for us together. We thank you that you see us as your masterpiece because when you look at us, you see Jesus. Father, I pray that each one of us here knows without a doubt what it is you want us to do for you. In service, humble service, not not so that we might be uh, become famous, but so that Jesus might become famous through us. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the, the promise that you're with us. We thank you for the promise, as we heard last week, of the power that's within us by your Spirit. We thank you that we can live for Jesus Christ. We praise you for this in his name. Amen. So please, if you have questions, then uh, catch up with Pastor Jeff and I. We'd love to share with you after the service. But, but that's not mingling, darling. You're not allowed to mingle.